So, hello again, happy campers. I'm Spike. Hello, I'm Chris. And back in the day when every neighborhood had a, a little shopping center, and in the back of that shopping center was a neighborhood video store, and in the back of the video store, behind the pop, microwave popcorn and the new releases and the 15 cases of Twizzlers yes. nobody would buy, it would be in all the. <laughs> he just makes my editing job so much harder. Back is where they kept all the good old stuff on the back rack videos, and that's where we are today. Back rack videos, and this this edition is my edition because we've been gone for three weeks because I moved. Okay, as you can tell, we're kind of in new digs here, but. New smaller digs. We'll get this Ooh. hashed out again. But uh, Chris needed to do a bunch of research for it. I was like, nah, never mind. I'll take care of it this week. You get next time. And then, because I'm talking I'm about something that I actually rather enjoy and know about, I'm saying, hello, Film Noir. Film Noir. Film Noir is an age-old genre it's not even so much a genre, it's treated as a film genre nowadays, but it's not so much a film genre as a method of storytelling. It's a method of movie making. To really make good film noir, you have to have no budget, you have to have almost, you, you might have one name somebody might recognize somewhere, and it needs to be done as quickly as possible and churned out like hamburger meat. Okay. Yes. So if if I were to say film noir, Chris, what what would you say? What what would your one word be to describe film noir? Classy. Mm. Classy. I would say, listen, noir to me is right up there with like the great murder mysteries like of Sherlock Holmes and Perot. You know, things like that, because to me, they're all, almost on the same level, except Noir has, like, you got this detective in, a, in like, an apartment building, but that's his office. And he's, he has a secretary outside, and he's monologuing everything that is happening. And this woman comes in, and she's very beautiful, and is like, Some, my, somebody murdered my husband, or my brother, or my father, or something like that. And he's like, I will take this for a penny. And he goes and solves the case. And then... Just because she's a classy dame for it. Yes. And they used words like dame. Classy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not going to see a lot of that in today's list. Because yes. I've compiled a list of five... I'm not saying these are the best film noirs of all time. I'm saying there are five ways to approach film noir that will give you a good introduction to to this style, okay? And it does run the gamut, yes, there are murders, murders by the millions of film noir. And yes, there are detectives, but it doesn't, it's not always about detective work. And I've got a couple of examples here that I'm going to bring up that will, will point out that noir is more than just a hard-boiled detective story. It's more than Dashiell Hammett and Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe or any of these other guys. There's more to film noir than that. So I'm gonna. But as you said, classy, hard-boiled detective. Go take the case because of a classy dame. 
The first one I'm going to point out is the Maltese Falcon. This is from 1941. Now, there actually was a version of this, I think, in 31. It was done before it. But this is the one of Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor that everybody knows. It's, uh, this was based on Dashiell Hammett's novel, and it stars Sam Spade. Sam Spade is a private detective in L.A. He takes on a case that involves three absolute crooked, no-good schmucks. And while he's investigating, his partner is murdered. And then he founds out, finds out that the beautiful dish that he's involved with is also a liar and may be the killer. So, over the course of the movie, it's up to Humphrey Bogart to not only catch the killer, but retrieve our, our precious MacGuffin, because this was the film that inspired Hitchcock to call whatever everybody's after, the MacGuffin. So it's, and you'll see Hitchcock later in the list. But this, The Maltese Falcon is a classic. It's one of the best of the hard-boiled detective movies, and it's only one of two on my list of five. Believe it or not, this is one movie that I have never actually watched. It can be a little bit of a slog. You really have to prepare yourself for it because in, in 1941, storytelling was a lot different than it is in 2022. You want to talk about fast-paced? But anyway, it is, it's still a good movie. It's, I put it on here, but I, out of the five movies I'm going to talk about, I consider it the weakest. Okay. Now, I'm not putting these in any special order, not going worst to first or anything like that. These are just five I'm talking about in a particular order because I want to make points about the film noir. The Maltese Falcon is a good movie, but it's not as good a movie as DOA. DOA was from 1949. Dead, dead, dead on Arrival. But dead on Arrival? Hold on. This is from 1949, filmed in black and white. This is... This is directed by Rudolph Maté, and it stars uh, Edmund O'Brien. The idea is you got this hood. He has been poisoned. He doesn't know who poisoned him, but all he knows is that he has only a couple of days left to live. There is no cure for this poison. This poison is going to kill him. He'll be dead soon, but can he catch the dirty rat who poisoned him? and bring oh. him to justice and find out why in the world would he do this because he's 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 just an average ordinary honest hood why would he target him so that's doa in my opinion this is one of the best film noir of all time because this film noir has this uh has this reputation of having a bleak outlook this has one of the darkest endings in movie history because the hero, spoiler alert, dies. That's why dead on arrival. Have you ever heard of, the, of uh, John Dies at the End? It was a book and then it was a movie. John Dies at the End was, the idea was, John is your main character. You know in the title he's going to die at the end, so you know he's doomed, but he keeps getting all these hope spots. And you have to see him work through all these things, but you know he's going to die at the end because that's what the title says. And then when he dies at the end, it's still a shock. Your jaw is still on the floor like, what? So, because you actually cared about it. That, that was a, a good little piece of storytelling. And it was, it was influenced based on DOA. You know, okay, I have seen this movie. It's I bet you have, because it's just, 
it's just far too good to miss. Also, believe it or not, now this is not as good as the original, but they did remake this movie. You who has never heard of those before, but you may know the movie Crank with Jason Statham. It's actually a remake, a but DOA. it's yeah. more gritty, violent, and, you know. Kind that's, of. that's another thing, okay? DOA, okay, it's 1949. They're still working under the Hayes Code, which was a, a set of standards, a set of moral standards had Hollywood had to operate by in order to get their movies distributed, or the federal government would step in and crack down for obscenity. So they... In a way, you could say they had their hands tied, but what they had to do was take those restrictions and work around them and still tell a gritty, gripping story, which they do in DOA. There's no graphic violence here. There's no gore, okay? There's violence, yes, but you don't see bloods flying all over the place. You don't see somebody being decapitated. Nobody's wearing a, a human suit or anything. It's... It's just a gritty, gripping, noir story. And yes, the hero dies at the end. So, so that's two. I'm going to go on to my third one here, because this one is way, way out there. Some people don't even recognize it as film noir, but it is. It's from 1942, and it's called Cat People. This starred a lady named Simone Simon. Cat People. This actually turns up on Sven Gulli every once in a long, long while. I've seen Cat People. Okay. You need to understand the story. Remember what I was talking about in order to make noir? It's almost more of a filmmaking technique than it is a, a genre. You have to have next to no budget. Okay. So, the producer on Cat People was named uh, Val Luton. Okay. Val Luton. He was the one who, who green-lighted Citizen Kane for Orson Welles. And he was the guy who green-lit a couple of other Orson Welles classics. We regard them as masterpieces of film. They never made a time. And the film's studio, RKO, almost went bankrupt on him. And it was Val Luton who green-lit those. So they said, if you want to keep your job, you're going to crank a bunch of crap out for us for next to nothing. And you better make it work. And here, you're going to use these titles. And the first title shoved in his face was Cat People. Okay? No script. They just gave him a title. Cat People. Here's $150,000 in 1942. Make a movie about cat people. So Frank oh. Loden went out and found a guy named Jacques Tournier. And Jacques Tournier, or Jacques Tournier, I'm sorry. Jacques Tournier was a, a filmmaker who was on the run, who had fled occupied France and was seeking work in the United States. So what uh, Val Luton does, he surrounds himself with people and he knows that if he puts somebody on screen in a cat suit, which they're not going to be able to afford anyway, it's going to look like crap. This isn't going to draw a dime. It won't even draw flies at the box office. But I'll, if I'm ever going to get back on Hollywood's good side, I've got to make a really good film. Okay, so Val hasn't given up. So Val works together with the screenwriter and the director and the star, and they come up with Cat People. The story of Cat People is that there's this woman from Serbia who marries an American man, and they get into, they come back to America, but she's hiding a secret. The, the, the little village she's from believes that she is cursed. She's part of a family that is cursed 
So whenever they feel they get really passionate about something, they'll turn into panthers. They become cat people. Okay? They become panthers and they'll tear apart whatever victim in, uh, inflamed their passions. Needless to say, she's a cold fish with her husband, especially when she sees her husband flirting with another girl. So when, uh, so when our little bride sees him flirting with another girl, her passions get inflamed, she turns into a panther off-screen. You never see her in a cat suit. She, so you see her disappear off-screen, and then you hear growling. You hear a panther growling and yowling, and you hear the woman screaming, and you start hearing ripping, but you never see anything. It's all left up to the imagination. I've been saying this on Geeking Out for almost four years now. It is so much better to leave as much up to the imagination as you can. Yes, just because you can show the details doesn't mean you should. And this is a perfect example. And remember, he's got no budget for special effects anyway. He can't even afford a cat suit. Have it all take place off camera and build the suspense. All the bloodshed happens in your mind. Okay? And it, so if you don't like bloodshed, your, your mind just kind of like turns off and waits for it to end. And then, but you're supplying all the lurid details. So it's as nasty as you want to be. And this cat people was the one that showed Hollywood that, so, that a lot of times less is far, far more. So, so what do you think about it? Have you seen cat people yet? Yes, actually I have. But again, this is another one that I haven't seen since. I want to say it's been in the 90s since it's it, is, <laughs> it is a great it is far better than you think it would it would be and they actually did a sequel to this that went in a completely different direction and actually explored the opposite corner of film noir but I won't get into it right now because it's the opposite corner of film noir we need to move on I've got two more movies I want to talk about because we're we're in 1942 with cat people we're going to jump forward about 30 years we are going to talk about Chinatown with, oh. with Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway, directed by Roman Polanski. Wow. came out in 1974. This thing won. As legendary as Chinatown is, as much influence as Chinatown has had on modern cinema, this was Roman Polanski's love letter to film noir. Okay? This was his love letter to Dashiell Hammett. This was his love letter to Mickey Spillane. You got a hard-boiled detective played by Jack Nicholson named J.J. Geitz. And he's taking on this case in L.A. He's trying to figure out, he's trying to figure out who done what. But the deeper he digs, the more mysterious it gets. People are dropping left and right. He doesn't understand what's going on. By the time you get to the conclusion, and I'm not going to spoil it here. By the time you get to the conclusion, Jack Nicholson's character, Jake Geitz, his jaw is on the floor and he's ready to murder everybody in the room, but instead, one of the people with him says, Jake, it's just Chinatown. And they leave. Your jaw will be on the floor right next to Jake Geitz. This is... To say that this is a cinematic landmark is an understatement, this not only took film noir and reestablished it as a movie-making technique in the, in the 1970s, it honed it to such a fine polish that it made, actually made film noir respectable. After Chinatown came out, suddenly 
you weren't seeing Casablanca every Friday night at midnight like it was Rocky Harsh, like it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show. All of a sudden, it's getting showings on prime time. It's turning up back in the in theaters. Maltese Falcon is getting released. All these other film noirs are being shown in art house cinemas, all because of Chinatown. That's 1972. Like I said, one Oscar to show for it. So, and have you seen Chinatown, Chris? Yes. You know what the ending is like. I, you remember the ending? Not really. <laughs> I'm not spoiling it. I will not spoil it. Let's just say it's... It shows not a whole lot has changed over the last 50 years in L.A. Okay? Isn't there one that was kind of... Was it, it, didn't they make a sequel? The Two Jakes. Uh, didn't they, didn't, I never, I, I'm not going to say anything about Didn't that one have like Gene Hackman or something? Something like that. I don't care. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> after, for me, the next Jack Nicholson movie after that was Batman in 89. That's because I never liked Cuckoo now. Anyway, so we're almost done. We're 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 on the we're on the tail end of this. Okay, the last one I'm going to mention, and this is this might pop you a little bit, from 1991, Silence of the Lambs. Okay, Silence of the Lambs is film noir for this reason. The there are there is gore in this film. Okay, but it is not egregious. It is shocking when you see it because. It's not there for most of the movie. So when you do see it, it has a much greater impact. It is gritty. Very little budget on this. But this, this is the, for those of, for all three of you who don't know what Silence of the Lambs is, it was a movie with Jodie Foster and uh, Anthony Hopkins. It was the one that made Anthony Hopkins a household name. Directed by Jonathan Demme. This thing went five Oscars and really established it, I mean, it swept the five main Oscars. Best, best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Writer, Best Director. Just swept them. I think, I think it was the third movie to ever be able to pull that off. And it's film noir because a bleak outlook, a bleak ending. I mean, spoiler alert, Hannibal Lecter, one of the most psychotic and brilliant uh, serial killers in human, in human history, is on the loose in Central America at the end of the film looking for the guy who put him in the institution from about a block away to have him for dinner, literally. So, but it shows just how film noir has advanced over the years. It, film noir doesn't have to be black and white to be effective because Silence of the Lambs was filmed in color, but it's hard to tell it because... If you notice, most of the people wear gray or shades of black. Everything looks washed out. And most of all, Detective Stottlemyre from Monk is in it. So, <laughs> so Silence of the Lambs, Chris. I, I thought you would pop when I said that. But. Silence of the Lambs is probably... That and most of the other animal were probably the most... I would have to say one of those movies that just like... Made you go, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, never really seen it on this scale of a level when it comes to anything that has to do with serial killers or, you know, from a detective style. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it did, it did change a whole lot. 
Um, Noir stuff is, is really, really interesting. I love how, you know, it's, it's so truthful, but it's like, it's always telling the story from a different point of view to where you really just like, wow, so this is, I see, you know, I'm, I'm starting to follow along with this character. Now I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. and, I, and people don't realize that they do it nowadays when they watch, you know, murder mysteries on like life well not lifetime but like code case files and stuff like that it's the same thing except you're going with a story that is being told that didn't probably actually happen but you know you're stuck with that detective and the people around that detective and who is this or the killer side or whatever uh they were they canceled it but I didn't know how they was going to do it until I started to watch it. But they made a, a TV series based off of Perry Mason. Remember that? Mm -hmm. It was only on HBO. And I was the, I think I, did you ever watch it? I was the only one that watched it. And yeah, it was more, it was a little bit more gritty. Not violent, but like. It was an HBO version of Paradise. The choice of words, some nudity, and stuff like that. But you had the noir. And uh, the setting. Oh my goodness, the setting. Like, he lived on, like, this, uh, this, in this old, broken-down house on a, a plane field. Which was so awesome. And, like, one of the cases he was discovering, I remember it was, like, this little room in an apartment building. And... The window was up, and you saw, like, this... It was, like, old San Francisco road that went down, and a trolley was going behind it, and it just, like, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> I just broke down, going, like, oh, more. Feed me more of what you got here. And you can go... You can even say things like, who framed Roger Rabbit? Yes, it was very film noir. Yes. The only reason I didn't include it is because it was film noir in a way... But it was kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek wink and, wink and a nod to it. But. I will say, also, Seven. Yes, Seven was probably the, 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 the most recent film noir that really stuck out in my head. That, that was, whoo! And that's pretty much, the, Seven is pretty much the same greediness that Barry Mason, the TV series, was. But it was, like, Seven is just like, Whoa! Don't blow your mind because it, it it plays up to the rules and then breaks them. So that's a, that that can be a good storytelling technique. If you want to if you want to see more film noir or get some more ideas on film noir, go over to IMDb. I'm not in the habit of recommending people go to IMDb, but go to IMDb.com and do a search for film noir. F I L M N O I R. You'll see a list for fit the fifty best film noirs in their opinion. And it's just a list from 1 to 50 of, of great film noir for you to check out. And best of all, IMDb will tell you at where you can actually watch it on one streaming service or another. Uh, some of the standouts on that list is Double Indemnity, about a hard-boiled insurance investigator. Uh, Sunset Boulevard, about a hard-boiled movie actress. Sunset Boulevard, yeah. The Big Sleep, which was the follow-up to The Maltese Falcon. And Notorious, which was one of Alfred Hitchcock's entries into film noir. Mm. 
which is an experience in its own. It's it's not the Burge. It's not Psycho. It's it's different. So the well, most, but the most noir thing Hitchcock probably ever did was about <laughs> was actually actually an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents that didn't get aired for like fifty years. It was about. Uh, uh, basically a circus magician who takes in this boy who, who can't, who's always fooled by his magic act. You've seen it. Yeah. And so he's, it, it's just, it, it's film noir, absolutely. And the little twist ending at the end will just drive you insane. But, so, I, film noir, everybody. I don't know who directed that. I can't remember. <clears throat> but it had a huge star cast. But L.A. Confidential. Another noir tribute, yeah. That one, yeah, that was a huge one, I believe. Yeah. So, so like I said, it's, film noir is, is, a tech, is a filmmaking technique that still rings true today. Hollywood's kind of lost their way on that because they've been using it, they're trying to use it in a big budget situation like L.A. Confidential. But if you're a struggling filmmaker... Chris, and you don't have much of a budget, Chris, then film noir might be an option for you, Chris. So, so y'all let us know in the comments what you think. Uh, we'll be getting this this out and about. Chris, any idea what we'll be doing on in Backrack video for next week? Yes, we are going to discuss special effects and how it started and how it has generated into what we have now. So we are going to discuss all the different movies that use the different versions of the special effects and we'll go into detail for everything from like puppetry to CGI and all that. So, so in other words a short film, right? That was that was that was my that was it was it was my idea, but I did not get to sit down and do the research of like when did this start happening like with the uh, Jason and the Agronauts and all that stuff. Like I needed to sit down and like, you know. May I suggest? So I didn't get that. May I, that's kind of a big topic. May I suggest? Make a suggestion. Start with King Kong and then follow Ray Harryhausen's career from there, because he helped okay. with King Kong, and then he was Mr. Special Effects for ages. So, and still is to this day because he's my beloved's favorite uh, movie guy. Because she just loves the stop action and stuff. That and Godzilla. Anything kaiju, she's she's cool with. So I guess until next time, I'll be I'll be Spike. <laughs> and I'll be Chris. And until we see you next time on Back Rack Video, remember, be kind. Rewind. Hey, he remembers. See you next time. <laughs>